in the name of the Lord. There is a, there's a question that has been posed and reposed for generations in this country, and it seems that it has been raised yet again in recent weeks and recent months. And that question is simply this, what moves people? What, what moves people? What, what motivates people to change? What drives us and moves us toward a desired end? In this country, as you well know, we suffer from a self-absorbed culture. We live in a society that says my way is the right way, and if you disagree with that, then we can't get along. We can't be friends. We tend to think that it's all about us and our ideas and our ideologies, and sadly, our favorite subject has become ourselves. And it's not that we don't like other people, it's just that we don't like them as much as we like us, right? And it's true. Most people aren't as interested in other people as they are themselves. And, of course, you have those that live on the contrary. There are some people that are way too interested in other people, right? <laughs> uh, sounds like you all know a few of those, all right? Whatever it is and whichever it is, I got to tell you today, we need to be delivered from that. We do. How, how do we break this cycle of inwardness? How do we break the stronghold of self-centeredness and pride? You know, our world right now would, would tell us that we ought to celebrate a thing called pride. You're probably aware of that. But my Bible has a problem with pride. Of all kinds. Right? What, what moves us to be better today than we were yesterday? What, what, what moves people? Is it, is it catastrophic events that move us? Well, that doesn't seem to be the case because we go through catastrophes like we've seen in the recent weeks with, with mass shootings and, and weather events and hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes. And we go through those kinds of things. And after a short amount of time, we end up just kind of moving on. I mean, it didn't affect us directly, so, you know, we watched the news and we watched the coverage and we watched it for a while. We sympathized with those that were affected for a while, but after time, we, we grow tired of hearing about those things. We get tired of seeing it and dominate the headlines and, you know, we just simply move on. Is it recessions or depressions or maybe inflation that, that, that moves people? I, I don't know that it does because, you know, that doesn't last real long. And again, we get tired of hearing about that. And we, we, we deal with it for a little while, but then we move back into our comfortable zone. What, what about education? Does that really move people? Well, perhaps it does a little bit. It makes us a little smarter. It helps us to know more than we know now. But if you never apply that to your life, then I'm not sure that it really moves you toward anything. What about protests and wars and those kind of things? Those things don't really seem to move us either. Sure, we'll sympathize and empathize and we'll make some temporary modifications for a while, but then we tend to, to kind of return back only to revisit it again at a later time. 
What is it about the nature and ideals of life that move us through this life and lead us toward our inevitable destiny? What motivates us to want to pursue the things that we pursue? What, what changes our minds and our actions and moves us in a desired direction? I wonder if the Bible can't help us to answer that question this morning. Children of Israel were delivered from Egypt by the hand of the Lord under the leadership of Moses. They went into an area that's commonly known as the wilderness, and in that, Moses went up into the mountain and got some direction and revelation from God via the Ten Commandments and the instructions for the tabernacle plan. And out of that meeting, God says, I want to make a box where my spirit can reside. I want to make an icon of my presence, if you will, and I'm going to call it the Ark of the Covenant. I think we have a, something for the screen today. There it is. This is an artist rendering of what the Ark of the Covenant might have looked like. If you're here today and you're old enough to remember Indiana Jones, that, that's what they were after, right? <laughs> that's what caused all the problem. You remember that. It was a, some of y'all are shocked that I made that reference. It's okay. <laughs> it was a symbol it was a container of the Shekinah presence of the Lord. It was the dwelling place of the Spirit of God during that time. His Spirit lived in and emanated out of the ark. Wherever Israel would go, the ark would go. And this ark became central to everything that Israel did. Now Israel was a nomadic people, so they moved around a lot and they had to carry that thing wherever they went. But as long as they did it, and they did it right, they were blessed. They prospered. Now, to Israel's neighbors who didn't understand the significance of the ark, they saw that ark, they saw that box as the premier good luck charm. They saw it as nothing more than a lucky rabbit's foot, if you will, for Israel. Every time Israel would go into battle and they brought the Ark of the Covenant with them, they would win that battle. If they didn't bring it, then all bets were off. But if they had the Ark with them, and they usually did, they prevailed. Wherever the Ark went, the children of Israel prospered. Now there was this neighboring area to Israel called Philistia. Philistia, the people that lived there were known as the Philistines. The Philistines were enemies of Israel, and they always wanted to have the ark for themselves. They always wanted to get their hands on that lucky charm. They always wanted to get their arms around the ark of the covenant, or at least they thought they did. You ever think you want something, and then when you get it, you're like, mm, no, baby, no. That, no, that, that, that isn't what I thought it was going to be. The Philistines thought they wanted it, they thought they needed it, but it ended up not doing what they wanted it to do. They thought the ark would win all the battles for them like it did for Israel, but that's not what happened. It didn't work for them the same way it worked for Israel. And what the Philistines didn't realize was that, is this, is that if you mishandle the things of God, there is an awful high price to pay. Oh, some of y'all might want to write that down. 
if you mishandle the holy, sacred things of God, there can be an awfully steep price to pay. The Ark of the Covenant floats around Philistia for 25 years or so, and while that's happening, Saul is removed as king of Israel, and David is anointed as her new king. David, of course, is the man after God's own heart. David is the psalmist. David wanted to restore worship. He wanted to build a temple. He wanted to honor God. But there's a problem because the symbol of God's presence, the Ark of the Covenant, is still floating around with the Philistines in Philistia. And so David says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get that thing and I'm going to bring it back to Israel. Now, that didn't provide to be too difficult for David to do because the Philistines weren't, weren't they, they were having so many problems with that ark. They, they were having so many issues with the ark that when David showed up to take it back, they didn't even fight him over it. They just said, yes, please. Here you go. By all means, take this thing. I mean, this thing had caused their temples to collapse. It had caused their gods to fall over. Everywhere they would take it, the people would end up getting hemorrhoids. I mean, it was a bad, bad, I didn't make that up. That's in your Bible. It was a real pain in the backside, if you know what I mean. And they just gave it back to Israel. While moving the ark back to Israel, David handles it the wrong way, and the cost is very, 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 very high. Because God is very particular about how holy things get handled. In fact, that's why people who abuse God's children pay a dramatic price for it, because God doesn't take too kindly to those who hurt his kids. David harnessed some oxen on a milk cart. They went to fetch the ark, but unfortunately for them, that wasn't how God had designed it to be carried. God had designed the ark to be carried by the Levites. That was the only way that God wanted it moved. And, and here was David strapping it down to a flatbed, trying to get it back to Israel. And when the, when the cart shook and the ark shifted, a young man named Uzzah put his hand up to steady the thing, and he touched it, and he fell over dead. That's pretty drastic. And David realizes that he's done this all wrong. He was trying to do a good thing, but he's gone about it the wrong way. You ever done that? You ever tried to do something good, but it went bad because you did it the wrong way? You, 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 you want to help, you want to do right, but the, but, 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 the thing, but the right thing at the wrong time can be just as disastrous as the wrong thing at the right time. It's good to do the right thing, but it's important to do the right thing the right way. David realized that he hadn't done it right. Now he's still in Philistia, but he's got he's to offload this ark. He can't continue to do the wrong thing the wrong way. So he looks to get rid of the thing. He's still there in Philistia. He starts looking for a place to dump this ark because obviously what they're doing is not working. And, and when we've got to get it, you know, we've got to go back to the drawing board here. So while we do that, I need a place to store this thing. And he turns into a driveway there in Philistia, the home of a man named Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom. 
Obed-Edom is a Philistine. He's a Gittite. And his family history is from Gath. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, it ought to, because when David was a young boy, he had another encounter with a Philistine Gittite from Gath named Goliath. And now, David is potentially rolling up on one of Goliath's family members and asking him if he can leave the Ark of the Covenant at his house for safekeeping. Now, Obed-Edom had to know that this Ark was has wreaked havoc in Philistia. It's destroyed every place it's ever been in Philistia. Obed-Edom lives in Philistia. So if I take this thing into my house, then it could really be a bad deal. And yet this man, Obed-Edom, takes a different attitude toward the ark. He takes a different approach toward the presence of Israel's God than everybody else had. And instead of destruction and ruin coming to Obed-Edom's house, his house begins to flourish and his house begins to become blessed. 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 11. Some of y'all didn't think I was going to read from the Bible today, but here it is. <laughs> the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. And it was told King David saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth to him because of the ark of God. How is it that the presence of God blessed a Philistine man and his family after it had destroyed other structures and households in the same town. How can the ark be a blessing to one household while disrupting another in the same city? I mean, we got idols falling over. We got people dying because they touched this thing. How can this thing be such a blessing to one house after being a curse to so many others. And verse number 12 tells us that the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom because of the ark of God. I would submit to you today that the blessing of God upon your life and upon your family has less to do with where you live and more to do with your attitude toward his presence. It has less to do with your family history. It has less to do with your backstory, less to do with your mistakes, less to do with where you go to church, and everything to do with your willingness to let God's presence infiltrate your house. Because if I'm willing to invite the presence of God into my house, if I'm willing to allow the ark of God to take up residence in my house, then I will be blessed I, even when everybody else is being and cursed. Somebody shout amen. amen. For three months, look at your neighbor and say that's 90 days. For 90 days, Obed-Edom wakes up every morning to the presence of God. For three months, Obed-Edom wakes up every morning and the blessing of God is in his house.
I'm not sure how to explain it, but it has to be the way that he looks at the ark. It has to be the way that he honors this thing and he gives honor to it because it's in his house and every morning he wakes up and he gets his coffee and he, he walks around the courtyard and he, he stares at the box and he, he's looking it over and he, he walks around it and he examines it. And it's not long before he goes out and he begins to talk to it a little bit. Mm. Well... All right, box, ark, hmm, keeping you in my house here. And kids come in and they want to play on it and he shoos them out of the room and he says, no, kids, this isn't any kind of toy. This is sacred. It's important and, and, and don't, don't just treat it like any other piece of furniture. Y'all want to go jump on the couch, go jump on the couch, but you're not, you're not going to jump on this box. They're, 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 no, this is something different. And he, he begins to develop a reverence. And he begins to develop a respect for the ark. And wakes up every morning, he pours his coffee. He's got his Folgers. That's what he drinks when I read it. <laughs> Walking around that thing. He's talking to it. Ark of Covenant. I don't know nothing about you. Uh, you look good. You, you're pretty. And it's not long, Brother Duvall, before... He wakes up in the morning and he's walking around and he gets a little song in the spirit. And he's walking around that ark and he finds himself saying, Your presence is heaven to me. Your presence. And then he says, King of glory, feel this place. I just want to be with you. I love it. A little something welling up in his spirit and one month turns into two and two months, months turn into three and he, he's spending more time with it and, and something is beginning to happen in his heart and his household's being blessed. His kids are acting right. His camels are growing a second hump. I don't know what's going on, but something is happening. And he can't explain it all, but there's something emanating out of this box and he just wants to be around it. I, I just want to be with you. King of glory. And he's sipping on the coffee and something's coming out of his spirit and, and, and it's drawing him in. And he, he's never experienced this before, but, but it, it's drawing him in. It's changing Obed-Edom. And so David shows up at Obed-Edom's house after 90 days. He's there to take the ark back. David got his act together this time. He, he, he thought it through. He brought the Levites with him. He, he's got the singers and the worshipers there. He's going to do it right. David shows up at Obed-Edom's house and he says, we're ready to do this thing. And that account is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 15. The Bible says that David gathered all of uh, uh, the Israel together to Jerusalem to bring the ark of the Lord unto the place which they had prepared for it. And David, David assembled the children of Aaron, the Levites. Now I'm not going to read to you all these Levite names. Some of them are really, really tough to say. But over the next few verses, he names all the Levites. And then you get down to verse number 12. And it said, David brought with him. And he said, sanctify yourself, you and your brethren, that you may bring the ark of the Lord of God back to Israel unto the place that we prepared for it. And, and it was because you did not do it right the first time. 
This is God talking. Because you did not do it right the first time that the Lord God broke out in anger against you. For we did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. Boy, I could stop right there and preach for a minute. Some of us are going through what we're going through because we simply didn't inquire of God about how to do it right the first time. That's why you got to listen to God. That's why you got to do it his way or else his anger might break out against you. And you do not want the anger of God to break out against you. So the priests and the Levites, verse 14, consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark. They all show up at Obed-Edom's house. And the Levites carried the ark of God with the poles on their shoulders. So the, Le the Levites have it worked out. David goes and addresses the singers and musicians that he brought with him. Look at verse 17. Talking about the singers and the musicians. And these are the people he's brought to, to carry the ark back to, to Israel. Verse 17, so the Levites appointed Heman, son of Joel, from his brothers, Asaph, son of Berechiah, Ethan, son of Cushiah. <coughs> That's my best guess at that. 18, and with them their brothers in rank, Zechariah, Jaziel, Shemeramoth, Jethiel, Unai, Eliab, Benaniah, Masiah, Madithiah, Elapiluna, I got that one right, Mekeniah, and get this, Obed-Edom. Wait a minute. Obed-Edom? Obed-Edom, he's a Philistine. I thought we were talking about the musicians and singers in Israel. Well, what's the deal? How did a Philistine's name get listed with the party that's taken the ark back to Israel? He's listed as a gatekeeper in the caravan that's taking the ark of God back to Israel. He's a Philistine who took the ark into his house for 90 days. And now we read where he's serving as a gatekeeper while they take it back to Israel. What's up? What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Obed-Edom got used to spending time in the presence of Almighty God. He got drawn in by the Spirit of the Lord and he liked it. He got drawn in by the Spirit of God and he liked it. He spent so much time around the ark that it began to do something to him. It began to change him. It changed the way he thought. It changed the way he went about his business. His house got blessed. His family got blessed. The presence of the God of Israel literally changed Obed-Edom's life. And when David came knocking on the door and said, listen, Mr. Obed, Edom, I need to take this thing back to Israel. Obed, Edom said, well, excuse me. Hold on now, sir, Mr. King, Mr. David. If I may, I like what I feel when I feel like I feel when I'm around this thing. Yeah? I, I kind of like what I feel when I'm around this. I, 
uh, if you don't mind, David, I will, I'm the king of Israel. I'm, I've come to take this thing back to its rightful place. And Obed-Edom said, okay, hold on. I, I understand you got to do that, but can I go? Do you mind if I tag along? Do you mind if I go with you? Can, if I can't stay, if this ark can't stay at my house any longer, then I'm willing to go wherever it goes. Why would you do that, Obed-Edom? Because every day for 90 days, I've walked around this thing. I've spent time with this thing. And something has been emanating out of this box and it's gotten into my spirit. It's saturated my family and my house. And I may just be a Philistine man. I may just be an ancestor of the defeated Goliath. I might just be a regular man. And I don't know anything about this, but I do know this. Whatever is in that box, I've got to be close to it. Oh, you're not going back to Israel without me, King David. I I've got to be in the presence of God. I've got to have that thing as a part of my life and my family's life. Because without it, I'm just a man. But with it, I'm blessed and I'm favored. So if it's all right with you, King David, if you can make room in the back seat for a hitchhiker, for a, for a Philistine, I'll do whatever you need me to do. But I've got to be around the presence of God. Oh! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I've come to preach to you today that disasters and catastrophic events might cause us to pause momentarily, but they won't change us. No, recessions and inflations might cause us to slow down, but they won't change us. Education might make you smarter and more profitable. Protests might bring awareness. Wars might wage on, but none of that stuff really changes us. No, no. The only thing that can really change my heart, the only thing that can really change my mind is to have an authentic experience with the presence of Jehovah God. Mm. And why, when I allow the presence of God to infiltrate my heart, and when I allow the presence of God to infiltrate my mind, then I'm going to think differently than I've ever thought. I'm going to make choices and decisions that I might not have otherwise made. When I allow it to get on the inside of me, I'll respond to the way God wants me to and not the way somebody else told me to. Mm. And I'll find out that the things that I've been consumed with might not really matter as much as I thought. And I'll find out that my opinions might not be as valid as I thought they were. And those things that were priorities to me turned out not to be priorities to him. Ladies and gentlemen, only God can change our minds and hearts and actions. 
Only he can perfect us and make us whole. I got to tell you, you want to go from the back of the room to the head of the class today? Spend some time in the presence of God. You want to go from being worst to first? Spend some time in the presence of God. You want to get promoted spiritually? Spend some time in the presence of God. Because mm. his presence is heaven to me. Oh, we got to get that attitude. We, we, we got to let a little something well up in our spirit and say, God, I, I don't know all, I, I can't explain it all, but, 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 but if I can just get your presence, if I can just spend a little time with it, oh, it'll change everything. Simon Peter, do you, you want your name to get changed? You want, you want to get the keys to the kingdom, Simon? Do you, you want to walk on water? You want to you have the chance to, to, to bring the Gospels to the Gentiles? You, you want to preach on the day of Pentecost? You want your shadow to heal people, Peter? Oh, you ought to take the time then to spend in the presence of God. Saul, you, you want to have your name changed to Paul? Do you, you want to be an apostle, apostle starting churches all over the world? You, do you want to write two-thirds of the New Testament and stand before kings and rulers? Then, then Paul, you ought to take the time to walk around an old ark and, and, and spend some time in the presence of God. Mm. If we could just get in the presence of God. If we could just let the presence of God touch us, if we could just let his presence influence us and saturate us, it will change everything. If I could get his presence into my house and into my heart, then I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I will be changed. So I go back to my question. What changes people? What moves people? What moves people to be better today than they were yesterday? What leads us toward God's ultimate purpose for our lives? Apparently, it's none other than the presence and spirit of Jehovah God. Because being in his presence will rearrange my priorities. It will. It, it'll cause me to, to reexamine my values. All, all, the, all the politics in the world can't accomplish what being in the presence of God can accomplish. I'm telling you today, church, let me tell you, churches can't fix it. Religion can't fix it. The lawmakers can't fix it. Politicians won't fix it. No. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood and the presence of Jesus Christ. What can fix my problems? What can elevate me to the next level? What can cause me to rejoice? Uh, what can cause me to prosper when everybody else is faltering? Nothing 
nothing but the presence of Almighty God. Musicians can come today. I'm closing for the first time. I'm teasing. I really am. They say that a life ballad, everybody say a ballad. I'm, talk, I'm not talking about the musical ballad. You hear a ballad on the radio and you're like, yeah, that's nice. It's a love ballad. That's what we used to call all the great love songs of the 80s, the love ballads. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a life ballad is the human nature and ideals that lead people through life toward an inevitable outcome. This is the ballad of Obed-Edom. The ballad of Obed-Edom, and here it is, that he was a perfectly content man with no motivation to do anything differently until, until he came in direct contact with the Spirit and power of Almighty God. And that Spirit and that contact motivated this regular guy, this average Obed. It changed everything and motivated him to move toward a greater purpose. How do I know that? I know that because the last time you read about Obed-Edom in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, the caravan is over. The party's over. The ark has now been successfully placed back in Israel. It's in the temple where it belongs. Obed-Edom, he should have long gone home by now. He should have been back in Philistia with his family. Party's over, obed but not for him. He can't, he can't leave the presence of the Lord. No. No, we read where Obed-Edom in 1 Chronicles 15 is, is assigned, permanently assigned as one of the four permanent doorkeepers for the Ark of the Covenant. And that's amazing because I just read to you a bunch of scriptures that said it had to be a Levite. But somehow God said, if a Philistine is willing to move heaven and earth to be in my presence, then I'll move heaven and earth to let him do it. If somebody is willing to move heaven and earth to get closer to me, God said, I'll break the rules and move heaven and earth and let him do it. Mm. We need some Obed-Edoms in this hour. We need people who more than they want to preach more than they want to sing, 
more than they want their voice to be heard, more than they want this or they want that. We need some Obed-Edoms that just want to be in the presence of Almighty God. Because the only thing that has the power to change anything is when you and I determine to get consumed with the presence of God. Because when he is lifted up, he will draw all men. When I begin to lift my hands in worship, when I, when I begin to take time to spend in the presence of God, when I make it a priority in my life, and when I, when I reverence it with my family, when I, when I make it a thing, when I say, God, I, 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 just, I, don't, know, I don't know what it is, but I just want to be near you, and I, I just want to be close to you, and I, I just want to be around you. And when I do that, I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself in a position to be changed forever and God begins to draw as I lift him up he begins to draw me and he begins to change me and he begins to move me <laughs> would you stand today I wonder who's here this morning that would lift your hands with me right now and say God if you could do it for a man like Obed-Edom, you can do it for me. God, I want to make a decision to get closer to you, not further away. God, I'm going to take a different approach than everybody else took to your presence. God, I'm going to treat it differently than the world treats it. I, God, I, 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 I've got to do something because there's something about being in your presence, God, that God, that's changing my outlook. That it's changing my mind. It's, it's altering my priorities, God. It's, it's moving me, God, to a place that I want to be. And that's with you. Come on, would you lift your hands right now? If that's your prayer, I want you just to cry out to God today. Right where you are. Right where you are, God, I want this to be my prayer today. We're getting ready to sing a chorus of song as they sing. I wonder if there's any Obed-Edoms here today that would be willing to come to an altar and say, God, I, I lift up my hands. God, I surrender. God, I want you to do for me what you did for Obed. God, I want to be in that caravan. I want to be one of the worshipers. I want to be one of the gatekeepers. God, I, there, there, is no, there is no heritage. There is no pedigree required. It only God is only looking for somebody that will say, God, I want to be changed. Come on, who will come today as we sing? Come on, let's sing today. Who will come? God, change my heart. Change my mind. Oh. Come on, are there any Obed-Edoms here today that want to be moved? God, move me. Oh, I want to be in your presence. God, I want to take the ark into my house, God. I want my family to be blessed. Oh, God. God, 
your presence say come on you need the ark of God with you you need the ark of God in your house come on somebody get the presence of God
on, I wish somebody would lift your hands right now. Come on, somebody lift your hands right now. Come on, somebody cry out. Oh, God, I want to be changed. God, I want to be moved. God, move me off of my complacent spot. God, move me off my comfortability. God, change my mind, change my heart. Let your presence do something for me that I could not do for myself. Why don't you take a neighbor by the hand right now, somebody where you can. Come on, take a neighbor by the hand right now, somebody. Come on, let's pray a prayer of unity right now. Come on, let's pray a prayer. God, we're, we're committing before you. God, that we're gonna let your, we're gonna let your presence into our house. God, not only into my physical house, but into my spiritual house. God, let your presence emanate out of me. Let your blessing flow through me. Oh, God, I may just be a regular man, but God, I'm your man. And I'll go where you say go. And I'll do what you say to do. Come on, somebody cry out to the Lord right now. Come on, there's some Obed-Edoms in this house. You're leaving differently than you came. The presence of God has showed up. 